This was interesting. I read this uh, this morning. It was a story about the uh, the attacks on some of the kibbutz uh, kibbutz residents and how some of the people that uh, had Hamas terrorists coming in to do terror recognized their attackers. And the story explained that the reason they recognized their attackers was that the Hamas guys had work permits to be in Israel, and they were now leading the um, attack on the Jews. So Israel was certainly attacked. There were all kinds of audacious uh, means by which their attackers got in. We know about the paragliders and other, uh, you know, storming of, of border uh, checkpoints and stuff like that. This is a country that had definitely had control of its borders until it didn't, until they lost it, until it was overwhelmed. But this is also a country that let in, on good faith, for work purposes, the people that then slaughtered and maimed. And I wonder if our terror threat has gone up as a result of this. I find it very hard to believe that the people that did this would not also like to attack targets in the United States. And maybe they are already here. And maybe they are already here through the same means that they got into Israel. One of the things that always happens when there's an attack on Israel by Hamas, Hezbollah, Fatah, the PLO back in the day, people do this kind of um, equation where they say the attackers are uh, the Davids and Israel is the Goliath because Israel's a mighty military power and it's... Uh, you know, got all these modern capabilities, uh, aided greatly by the United States. And these terrorists are throwing rocks, which is ridiculous, obviously, and untrue and inaccurate. Obviously, if you're going to do the day, I don't even know if the David and Goliath thing is a good image, but but if you're going to do that, Israel is the only Jewish state. It's the only democracy. It's surrounded by dozens and dozens of Arab and Muslim countries. Who's really David? Who's really Goliath here? But I guess what people are trying to do is excuse anything the terrorists do by suggesting that they are somehow impotent, powerless. This is all they have. Speaking of all those other countries, Ed Morrissey, who we're going to have on the show a little bit later, uh, wrote today at hotair.com that um, despite the talk of Palestinians uh, being relocated to Egypt, Egypt doesn't want that. Uh, Egypt is wary of Gazan relocation. 
They are rejecting suggestions from the United States to set up safe corridors uh, for refugees to get to Egypt. So you have Gaza, which is this coastal strip of land um, between Israel in the north and, I guess, east, and Egypt to the south, southwest. And um, Ed writes that Egypt has always had a, a very restrictive policy about Gazans coming into the country, and now they are not, now they are not interested in providing cover. A guy named Jordan Schachtel, who I uh, follow on Substack, uh, wrote, uh, Why no Arab countries are coming forward to provide safe haven to Gaza's civilian population. The people of Gaza, according to their advocates, are um, pawns in a greater struggle, but not a single country around Israel is offering to provide safe passage. And he provides a map, and it's all the neighbors of Israel. It's Jordan and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and, um, and Libya and uh, all, all of these neighbors. None of them, and he says uh, there are four dozen, are offering, and some have expressed absolute opposition to uh, let him in. And then he goes on to say, well, when you confront people with that argument, their response is, well, they shouldn't be ex- uh, evacuated or, or moved somewhere else because that would be like ethnic cleansing and that would allow the Israelis to uh, take over the whole uh, you know, territory with ethnic cleansing. But again, it, it is telling that the Arab neighbors, all these countries are using that as an excuse to do nothing for the Palestinians they claim to care so much about. They are not opening their doors. That should tell you something, I think. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. These are countries and governments that express pro-Palestinian positions, but they don't actually want the people. And then some have pointed out, well, uh, Jews were rejected a lot when they were uh, without a country. Well, yeah, there wasn't, there weren't four dozen Jewish countries to which they could go, and and they were rejected in a lot of places, and they were rejected by America. They were accepted in some places, to some degree, but they didn't have this kind of geography. It's telling. Uh, I want to play something that uh, Donald Trump said and get your reaction to this. Uh, He gave a speech last night in uh, Mar-a-Lago, and he was reacting to what happened, and um, he is mad that Israel did not support his strike against General Soleimani, and he is saying, Netanyahu let the United States down, I'll never forget that, and they should have been ready for what happened to them. Israel should have been ready for what happened to them. Listen to this, cut number four. And then two nights ago, I read all of Biden's security people. Can you imagine? National defense people. And they said, gee, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack from the north because that's the most vulnerable spot. I said, wait a minute. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. 
You know, I said that President Xi of China, 1.4 billion people, he controls it with an iron fist. I said, he's a very smart man. They killed me the next day. I said he was smart. What am I going to say? But Hezbollah, they're very smart. And they have a national defense minister or somebody saying, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack us from the north. So the following morning, they attacked. They might not have been doing it, but if you listen to this jerk, you would attack from the north because he said that's our weak spot. That clip is getting a lot of play today, and and people are attacking Trump for saying that stuff. Um, Elsewhere, he is saying that he is proud to have been the best friend Israel ever had in the White House, and uh, they would never have done this, uh, that is Hamas, if he was president, and it's happening because of the weakness of Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, I like all the stuff he says about the difference between what happened on his watch and what happened on Biden's watch, I think that's very effective. I don't think there's any reason to critique or mock the Israelis for not being prepared or for their public utterances. And I I realize that clip has been taken out of context as if that's all he said, so I'm telling you, I'm giving you the context. He, he said a lot of other things, but... Why say that at all? Why why put that in at all? Like you you're you're trying to win the presidency, which means you're trying to win our support, which means you're trying to show us that logically it makes more sense for you to be president than for Joe Biden. So I would only say stuff that that applies to that. And and yet there's something about Donald Trump for all of his other attributes, he can't help himself. He can't let go, and this is all I think, because you wouldn't you wouldn't otherwise think he'd be crosswise with a guy like Netanyahu. They would they would be compatible, you would think. But but this is all because Netanyahu did not support the strike on Soleimani, and he was angry about that. And a number of people that were with Trump have written stories about that. Um, I don't know about calling Hezbollah very very smart. I don't. I, I think, you know what, and, and it's not just Trump, a lot of people right now are saying or have just said stuff they're not going to want to own. And you're seeing all over the place commentators clarifying their statements and positions, and you're seeing social media accounts get locked down or comments get shut off. There's a lot of people that have beclowned themselves in the first four days of this or five days of this that um, have just taken over real estate you don't want to stand on and you don't need to stand on. And um, there is a difference between saying, well, I want to put our interests first, America first. Uh, I understand like that's been a lot of people's sort of uh, framework for looking at Ukraine. But I would just say this, and this is just me, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree. Don't forget to be a human being. I mean, be a Republican, be a conservative, be American first, be a Trump, be, but, but don't forget to be a human being. There shouldn't be anything that prevents you from being repulsed, repelled, uh, disgusted by what's taking place here. There shouldn't be any anything that, that gets in the way of that. If there's something that gets in the way of that, you probably should get rid of whatever that is. I had a friend of mine I was talking to um, yesterday who's Jewish and in the media, 
and I'll leave it at that. You would know him. And he was telling me with some amusement that his phone is ringing off the hook and he's getting a lot of interview requests because people are asking to interview him for his reaction as a Jew to the uh, atrocities in Israel. We'd like to talk to you as a Jew. We would like to get your reaction as a Jew. And he he and I were laughing, saying, well, it's, I guess it's a good thing you're Jewish because uh, otherwise you'd have no no reaction. You wouldn't think anything of it. It shouldn't matter if you're Jewish. And it shouldn't matter who you voted for. And it shouldn't matter about whether you have ever approved or disapproved of anything the Israeli government has done. And by the way, Israel has a parliamentary system, so they've had many different governments over the years, and they've done all kinds of things. If there's something getting in the way of you being a human being, I think it's important to be a human being. Don't forget to do that while you're being all those other things that in this identity politics world of ours you need to be. Like, I hear people blaming Israel. And you know what it reminds me of? And forgive this, but I have to say it. It reminds me of the old days when a woman would be raped and people would say, well, she was dressed provocatively. She wore a short skirt. People used to say that. That used to be a a knock on the victim. And then we came up with this term called victim shaming. And we said, you can't ever blame the victim no matter what people do. They don't deserve to be the victim of a crime. It's true. So, is it okay to victim blame the people of Israel? I thought this was interesting. I read this uh, this morning. They're telling Jewish kids in the United Kingdom who are wearing yarmulkes to cover them up. To wear a, a cap, like a baseball cap or something, over their skull caps. To hide who they are. That's... That's incredible to me. Wasn't it not like five minutes ago that we were uh, in the second Pride Month of the year and uh, teachers were working with kids on their new pronouns and changing their genders? If there's one feature of our time, it's that you're supposed to totally be and show who you are. But not if you're a Jewish kid in the U.K., I just think there's a lot of people right now that have said and said things or taken positions and things that they're going to have to claw back. And my advice would be don't be don't be one of them. If you can if you can avoid it, don't be one of them. Uh, this is not as complicated as some people are making it out to be. You don't have to be a foreign policy expert. You don't have to stay up all night watching all the channels. You don't have to read all the blogs and all the posts and all the your 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 heart tells you what's right and wrong here. You know what to think. You know how to feel. Join the show right now, 210-599-5555, like Steve is doing right here. Steve, welcome. Good afternoon. How you doing, Jack? Hi, Steve. Hey, uh, so the uh, comment on the, uh, you know, the uh, Arab nations not allowing the Gazans to, uh, for safe haven or passage to other states. What if, and I know we could what if this thing to death, uh, what if the uh, Arab nations are offering up the Gaza Strip as a, you know, uh, a martyr? Oh, I think that's you very know, possible. Yeah, I think that's very possible. To, to possibly, you know, join all the Arab states together to be able uh-huh. to, uh, you know, 
take out the great evil, I guess you want to call them. Right. In other words, um, in, in that scenario, Israel is going to step on a, a landmine when they go in there, Correct. and it's going to it's going to unite. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very possible. Um, it, it, but still, for all the talk over all the years about the oppressed people of Palestine, pretty interesting when you when the rubber meets the road, when you've got your moment to put your money where your mouth is, no one's doing it. Correct. Well, and I you know the the, the left about. loves to talk about uh, migration and migrants and. Uh, there's never been more people on the move in, in world history, which I don't even know if that's true. But that's all just talk if your door's locked, if you're not letting anybody in, if you're not helping anybody, you're just basically saying someone else ought to do it. Yes, very much so. But but I do like what you're saying. I think, I think that's a, a, a very real possibility that whatever Israel now does is going to be used as a, as a propaganda piece. Steve, thank you. Thanks for the call. 210-599-5555. I'll give you an example of what I, I, I'm talking about by uh, take a stand that you can own. There's a huge sideline discussion going on about the decapitated babies. Can we talk about this? And it's unpleasant. So there's a story, Biden claims he saw pictures, and then the White House said, no, he didn't actually see pictures. The The IDF, Several news organizations say there are decapitated babies. There, to my knowledge, there are no pictures of, of decapitated babies. So it could be true. It might not be true. And then people said, um, well, uh, the babies were killed but not decapitated. Now, think about what you're saying when you say that. Think about the kind of mental gymnastics you're doing with that they were only killed they weren't decapitated do you hear yourself do you think it matters i mean we're in the fog of war early days so we're going to find out all kinds of things going forward and they're going to write books about this in the years to come and those books will be much more rich with detail and, and verification than anything you read right now or hear me say or hear anybody say. Okay, The historians, the people that have time to research and footnote and document are going to know this whole thing better than we know it right now. But imagine staking your position on whether the babies, the dead babies were beheaded. Imagine missing that there are dead babies. And that's what's happening. Um, I, this feels a lot like 9-11. Remember right after 9-11, we had the, well, the most important thing is to not have Islamophobia. Uh, it's very important that we educate and lecture the American people who are grieving, who are reeling, who are furious. What did we get from our overlords? We got lectures about Islamophobia. And then we got people telling us the U.S. had it coming. And this is, and I lost respect for a lot of people who I just sort of mildly disagreed with before 9 11, because it's one thing to have disagreements about stuff like um, nation building or whether we should be, have troops in Europe or, 
you know, the military industrial complex and the founders didn't want a standing army. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to debate all that stuff. And I can, I can be friends with people that disagree about that stuff. But then when you go from that to, well, because of our policies, we, we brought this on ourselves, or why should we not have this happen to us when it's happened to other people? Um, I, I understand that politics all over the world are wildly complicated. And I don't think my country's perfect, and I don't think Israel's perfect. Um, but there is a difference between people that are trying to live in peace and people that are paragliding into a rock concert to machine gun people in the back. We can't lose our ability to see that, right? And um, I also think you got to remember that the, the goals in the killing were twofold. Obviously, the killing was one goal. But in killing all these people and, and, and sowing the seeds of all this terror... Uh, they also intended for us to be at each other's throats. They intended for us to uh, lose sight of what we have in common and start tearing at each other for what we don't. And th- again, it, it, it has a very days after 9-11 kind of feel to it. We we I think we picked our way through that pretty well, you and I. I'm not sure about our politicians, but I think I think we the people, like I'm, I'm very proud of the way the country reacted, responded. Um, I think there were a lot of very positive choices people made, and I think we were way better than our overlords thought we would be. They thought we needed a lecture about Islamophobia. We didn't, and we don't. And now, same thing with these these people on panel discussions on CNN arguing about whether the babies were murdered or, or beheaded is, you know. Are, are there any real people that talk this way? Do you, do you talk this way? And you can vote in today's JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery at KTSA.com. And joining the show, Jed Babin, former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense in the Bush 41 administration, uh, is on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Jed, welcome back. Good afternoon to you. Well, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be back quickly. It is. It's always, I always appreciate this. I know you get a lot of requests and a lot of people want to talk to you. Um, I, we were talking just a few minutes ago uh, before we got you on about this uh, phenomenon of there being dozens and dozens of uh, Arab countries around Israel, none of whom want Gazans right now. Um, what does that say to you? Well, it's been the situation since Israel was formed. Uh, yeah. The only real Palestinian so-called country is Jordan. All the rest of the countries around Israel, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, et cetera, et cetera, they don't want the Palestinians. You know, they're kind of the, hate to use the term, but they're kind of the plain white trash of the Arab world. And nobody wants them because they stir up trouble. And we're seeing that in big time right now. Secretary Blinken is over there. Um, I'm a little unclear on what he's uh, doing. And I think maybe he might be. (laughs) Okay. You beat me to it. Um, is he trying to get Egypt to take uh, Gazans? Well, he's trying to get them to take Gazans. They're probably not going to do it. I heard the Ramallah crossing was closed yesterday. I don't know if it's open now. Uh, but what he's telling the Israelis is, well, you know, you need to be careful of civilian casualties. Really? 
Um, the Gazans, the Hamas people, were they considerate of, you know, were they careful of civilian casualties? No. They went to murder thousands of Israelis, civilians. And I think Mr. Blinken is kind of, well, it's typical of him. It's typical of the Biden administration. You know, the Biden administration, I have to say, is doing some of the things right. We've got the USS uh, Gerald R. Ford carrier strike group there. Uh, I'm told that there are a bunch of Navy SEALs that are going to try to help uh, the Israeli special forces uh, rescue hostages. Uh, there's airplanes, uh, aircraft, U.S. aircraft uh, landing pretty much every day, uh, mm-hmm. delivering more supplies and ammunition to the Israelis. I don't think they really need it, but they're going to get it anyway, and uh, it might help. So, you know, as, as much as I hate to say it, I think Mr. Biden is doing a pretty decent job at this point. No, I'm glad I'm glad that we're doing those things. Um, there was a word used more than once that I, I was going to ask you about. I, I think I should have asked you this the other day. The president and other people have been saying uh, we have experts that that are going to help the Israelis. I've never heard it put that way. They, they mean like special ops people, right? They don't mean like well, consultants I, from the kin, from from like McKinsey Group, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, they could be sending you know tons of people from the Brookings Institute over there to try to help the Israelis make peace. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. You don't know what they're doing, and they don't know. I what never heard doing. it put that way though. That we're going to share our experts with them. Well, I haven't either. Uh, it seems to me that the Israelis are pretty well expert at what they do. Uh, the only question is how and when they're going to do it. Uh, I've heard and I've seen some things on the media uh, that indicate that uh, Squadron 13, the Navy's, the Israeli Navy's equivalent of our Navy SEALs, uh, is very active. They've rescued a lot of hostages already. Uh, they've killed a whole passel of uh, the Hamas members, and uh, they're not going to rest. These guys are, are very good. Uh, I know the man who established them, uh, who actually trained them, uh, and he is a brilliant man, and I think these folks are, are going to do what they need to do, and they're not going to stop. They're just going to keep on doing what they're doing. Obviously, these terrorists shocked the world, but are we giving them more credit than they deserve for like thinking this all the way through or having – a plan beyond what they've already done. What do you What do you think about that? Well, I don't think we're criticizing them any more than they're due. I mean, these people, Jack, these people are no longer civilized human beings. They're barbarians. They've given up the right to claim any membership in the human race. And I think at this point, the Israelis are going to kill as many of them as they possibly can, and they can kill a whole lot of these guys. Uh, I don't think we're really doing much more. Than, uh, than sitting back and watching. But I think, again, some of the things that Mr. Biden is doing are pretty darn good. I, I guess what I meant was, are, do the, uh, does Hezbollah and Hamas, are they, are they, have they thought this through to where they have, like, they know what their next five moves are going to be, or was this pretty much it? Well, I don't think that they know the next five moves because those are decided in Tehran. Uh, let's face it, the Hezbollah and Hamas, they're wholly owned subsidiaries of Tehran. The, interna- the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps tells them what to do, and they don't do anything without the IRGC's permission and orders. So I think if you're looking for you know, what they're thinking and what they're going through and what, how far they're thinking things through, I, I think you're asking kind of a wrong question because I don't think they have any voice in it. I think they're going to do what Iran tells them to do and nothing else. So has Iran thought it through? Oh, I think so. I think so. They want to push it as far as they can. 
Uh, they want to see how far Mr. Biden is willing to go. They want to see how badly they can inflict damage on the Israelis. Uh, and they've done an enormous amount. I mean, this is the worst killing of Jews since the Nazis in World War II. Uh, there have been thousands killed, and it's, it's not going to stop. Uh, the Israelis are responding uh, very vigorously. I think their you know, uh, ground offensive, counteroffensive is going to take place in the next couple of days. Uh, and we're not going to see them stop until they basically have taken apart Hamas and uh, made it into a pile of rubble in the Gaza Strip. What is your uh, what are your thoughts about this so-called day of rage tomorrow? And and is there an increased terror risk here uh, a, a, as part of that? Sure, there there absolutely is. I think when we look at you know how many people, how many millions of people have come across the border uh, since Mr. Biden opened it up, uh, we know that there are at least five hundred thousand gotaways, so-called uh, people who have not even encountered the uh, border patrol. They've evaded and, and succeeded in, in ducking into our society uh, without having any check or balance. And, yeah, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, uh, and it may happen t- next week or 10 years from now. But I think there's something that there is a considerable danger right now, and American police and the FBI and, frankly, the troops ought to be on alert as to what's going to go on because, you know, again, mm-hmm. these people want to kill people, and they don't have really any any other justification or any other goal. Um, I read that some of the uh, victims in in some of the kibbutz attacks recognized some of the terrorists as people that had Israeli work permits. Were you surprised by that? I had not seen that. I don't doubt it, uh, but I'm not surprised. But this is the kind of thing. I mean, people who can get in with work permits you know, they can scope out the lay of the land and uh, learn a lot of intelligence that would be useful to the terrorists. So, yeah, it, it's not a surprise at all. Uh, that that kind of echoed eerily the whole thing that's going on with our, you know, border and the debate sure. about it. I mean, you, you can tell yourself uh, why you're letting people in, but you don't always know why they're coming in. Well, you don't know why, and frankly, these people, the Biden administration, they don't even know who they are, far less what their intentions are. So we've got people who may have come in from any place in the Middle East. You know, there's probably Chinese agents that have come through. I mean, there's there's just an enormous number of people uh, coming across every single day, and nobody has a clue as to who they really are. Read Jed Babin in the Washington Times. Uh, He wrote, Iran's terrorist war, Hamas and Hezbollah, are wholly owned proxies of the Tehran regime. And, Jed, thank you always for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Do you think the terror risk in this country has gone up because of uh, what's going on in the Middle East? Uh, And, um, you know, that's one of those questions that doesn't have a right answer. Just interested in what you think about it. 210-599-5555. J.K. Rowling has come out against this uh, advice they're giving British children to cover their skull caps with baseball caps. Jewish children are being told to hide their Jewish identity. A woman wrote to the London Times on advice from her school. um, uh, Kids have been advised to cover their skull caps with baseball caps. My daughter uh, has been advised not to wear her school blazer 
Um, she goes to a Jewish school. On her pre-dawn uh, jog yesterday, she ran past the broken glass of a kosher cafe's windows and a fresh anti-Israeli slogan painted on a bridge. All my grandparents were Holocaust survivors who found safe haven and built new lives in the UK. So, of course, I'm twitching with anxiety and the creeping dangers of the masses not speaking out against terrorism. Sincerely hope the Prime Minister honors his pledge to stand with Israel and protect British Jews. Rowling included that in her tweet and then wrote, uh, We said never again. The U.K. was a safe haven. Now, after the biggest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, British Jewish children are being advised to hide their identities as they walk to school for their own safety. Rowling writes, there should be mass outrage that this is necessary. What do you think about that? I guess you could say, I'm going to devil's advocate it. I guess you could say, well, look, before anything else, before we get into whether or not that's right or wrong, we're just trying to make sure our kids are safe and get home safe. Okay, but bear in mind that we're not giving this advice to anybody else. No one is telling children these days to hide their identity about anything. We're telling children that they can choose their sex, which is nuts, obviously, but um, we have pride this and proclaim that and the 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 the, i guess you'd say the um the fashion of the day is whatever and whoever you are or think you are everyone needs to know it so it's pretty interesting that we would be we finally have found the one thing kids are not supposed to own up to It's uh, also interesting how often we used to hear diversity is our strength. Diversity is our strength. I'm sure there were people in Britain saying it, because certainly a lot of people in this country have said it. So if that's true, you again would not hide your light under a bushel basket. You would not hide, conceal your identity. This is from Canada. The CBC had instructed its reporters, I'll say had, because it looks like they've withdrawn this. The CBC had instructed reporters not to use the word terrorist in Hamas coverage, saying, quote, that is an opinion word, not fact. Terrorism, reporters were told by their executives, remains heavily politicized. Hmm. I think you have a problem. I don't think any of us have a problem. I think you have a problem if you can't call terrorists terrorists. And they deleted the tweet, which may or may not mean they've retracted the advice. But it is it is still a thing, even now, that people are going through these gymnastics to remain politically correct and woke. And... um Imagine telling reporters Imagine telling reporters not to tell the story. Now I wonder if the CBC, which is a Canadian broadcasting company, I wonder if they had any hesitation about calling unvaccinated truckers terrorists, which the Canadian government did, and I would imagine that was repeated, echoed, quoted by the CBC. 
Remember when the Trudeau government said they were terrorists? So a truck driver without a jab can be a terrorist, but a Hamas killer, that's complicated. Or when they call what's going on over there a conflict. I've heard people say that. Well, in light of the conflict, the current conflict, it's not a conflict. Uh, A bunch of people who were unarmed were slaughtered by a bunch of people that were armed. That's not a conflict. Conflict would be if both sides are armed and there's bullets zinging off everything, and but that's not what's happening. So, do do you think that we're having like a clarifying moment, or am I giving these people too much credit? Are people figuring it out, or are they just trying to clean up their, you know, Twitter feeds, get the get the incriminating stuff off their social media posts? I don't know. I would like to think it's. It's not just the the cosmetic cleaning up of the posts, but it's people actually thinking. And here and there I've seen people who've actually who seem to actually be having a Damascene kind of moment, but then I, I'm reminded a lot of people are just worried about how they look, right? Just making sure they have the approval of their peers and that's all that ever matters. Anyway, yeah, I was kinda wondering earlier, are people uh we're kind of living through history and um this is a time when people are gonna say some stupid stuff and then have to pull it back or claw it back which is very hard to do now right in the in the old days you maybe said something and it went in, out into the ether um but everything lives on in screen caps and your electronic trail and uh you're going to have I think I don't just mean in the days ahead I mean like years from now there'll be people applying for jobs or stuff that will be haunted by some stupid thing, they anti-Semitic thing they said, or or ignorant thing that they said about what's going on right now. Um, I want to play something Jake Tapper said. I I don't have a lot of regard for Jake Tapper. He seems like kind of a tool, but um, he was talking about how it's been an eye-opening moment for people on the left. Take a listen to this, and we'll talk about it. Cut number seven. This does, these last few days have been a real uh, eye-opening period for a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives, in terms of anti-Semitism on the left. A lot of people who seem more shocked at dehumanizing language uh, used by world leaders to describe Hamas than what Hamas actually perpetrated on Saturday. A lot of people seem more shocked about dehumanizing language than what was actually perpetrated. You know, Jake, you're in a profession where people used to distinguish themselves by how um, clearly and colorfully they told us what was going on. I mean, I, I I've told this story many times before. When I was a when I was young, and you may remember this if you're over a certain age. When I was young, it was a mark of intelligence that you were watching CNN. Don't laugh. It was. The people on CNN were experts. They were seasoned journalists. You had people like Bernard Shaw. You had uh, this sort of where 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 wherever the news is, we're in we're in Iraq, we're in Kuwait, we're in Beijing, we're in Tiananmen Square, where we are where the news is happening. We might even be in harm's way. 
And now it's a group of people that are sitting behind glass desks having four-way, six-way um, circle, I won't say it, discussions. Um, and the senior national expert on such and such is a 25-year-old. People have been noting all the all the crazy uh, student groups coming out supporting Hamas, uh, glorifying Hamas, glorifying these attacks, and a lot of people have asked me and have asked rhetorically, "What is going on?" And I want to try to answer that, and I'm going to answer it with my theory, and I, you may have a different point of view. But I kind of subscribe to the, if it, you know, quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's a duck school of thought. So I think maybe these, um, like these college students, for example, are just idiots. I'm sorry I don't have a more, more like an elaborate explanation or theory. You probably can get that on some other shows. But is it possible they're just dummies? Um, have you ever noticed when you get in a debate with people on the left, especially young people, they don't know any history and they're proud of it because history is, you know, is, is white and old <laughs> and um, I mean, they, so they don't know any history. They don't, they're, they're proud that they don't know any history. Everything they don't know, they turn into a, well, I'm glad I don't know what's in the constitution because it was written by slave owners, and I'm glad I don't know it. I don't need to know. And Western civilization was written by dead Europeans. and So they're not only dummies, but they're not insecure or feeling like, oh, I really ought to know more about this. Like sometimes you meet people that are like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get more educated about what's happening. But these people that are that are taking these bananas positions about Hamas, they they were they're very happy with what little they know or have been told. So what if it's just that simple? I mean, we can talk about the radicalization of higher education. I get all that. We've we've covered that on this show as much as anybody. Um we know that merit has gone out the window. We know that in terms of like college admissions, um we're not culling through and finding the hardest working students or the highest achieving students. That, that's not who goes to Harvard anymore. Harvard is not Harvard, as you understood it, because now Harvard is a pastiche of the way libs want the world to look, not the way the world really is. If it, if it was made up of, if, if the incoming classes were made up of the world as it really is, it would be way too Asian, it would be way too white. They can't have it, it. It might even be substantially Christian or Republican, God forbid. So, um, they've they've constructed a world in which diversity is our strength, as long as it's not Jewish school children in the UK, and and we've made this uh, whole bubble in which you can be ignorant going in and you can be ignorant coming out. I think we always assume when people attend universities, they come out of them smarter. But what if they come out of them dumber? What if they come out of them not with more actual empirical 
knowledge or sharpened abilities to think, right, which would be great, what if they just come out of them with heads full of memorized talking points and indoctrination? What if they're being trained rather than educated? And so maybe that's why you are seeing what you're seeing right now on the college campuses. Pick a major college anywhere in this country, anywhere in this state, anywhere in this country, and you can find a Palestinian, a pro-Palestinian demonstration today, right now, easily. I read that um, college admission scores have dropped to their lowest level in more than three decades. So this is people coming into college are having their lowest, like, ACT, SAT scores in over three decades. And you know what the, you know what the experts and the media are, are blaming it on? The pandemic. They're blaming it on the pandemic. And if they meant by the pandemic the damage we did to, you know, public education, they would kind of have a point. But they're just throwing the pandemic out there like it just befell us, you know. Well, we didn't make any decisions about it or we didn't have any policies that turned out to be unnecessary or disastrous. That pandemic was just, it just, it just did stuff. But the real reason I think the college admission tests are at a 30-year low is because of the whole equity thing. What was that term Bush used? I, it wasn't his term, but he liked to say it a lot when he was running for president. The, the, big, the, bigotry, the soft bigotry of low expectations, that was it. it. It's actually kind of a useful phrase. So if you're not looking at hard, fact, hard and fast achievements and academic excellence, if you're not valuing people that are working hard, if you are constructing classes um, and you're trying to um, meet prearranged or predetermined ratios of race, color, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it wouldn't be surprising if you would be admitting people that couldn't do the work or weren't up to the, the old standards. I would assume that this 30-year low would continue. I would think the, the scores will continue to decline as long as the equity banner flies. Um, and, of course, this isn't just something to talk about in the abstract. When higher education fails, we fall behind countries we cannot afford to fall behind, like China, because they're not doing any of this. And we seem to be consumed by it. Anyway, the, so... the. The, the behavior, the reaction of student groups and students expressing support for Hamas terror attacks, maybe they're just dummies. I don't know. What do you think? I read them every day, so it's an extra treat to have them on the show uh, because I couldn't do this show without hotair.com, and that's where you'll find Ed Morrissey. He's on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line at hotair.com. And uh, Ed, and we mean that, in the, you know, it's, it's a tongue-in-cheek title, right? It's not just hot air. It's... It's more than hot air, right? Right. That's it's exactly meaningful correct. hot actually, air. It, well, actually, 
actually, you know, I mean, just, just uh, really quickly, the idea behind the site originally was to be mostly video commentary, and so they mm. chose the, the name Hot Air to oh. to do that. And then at the time, video was it turned out to be very impractical, so we went back to the written word. We're doing a lot more of the video stuff now than we've ever done. So yeah. kind of it kind of fits now. It kind of fits. Yeah, there you go. Um, we were just talking about uh, the phenomenon of you, you can go to any college campus uh, pretty much around the country and find pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas protests or yep. expressions of support. Um, and people are asking rhetorically, why is that? What is going on? Why, why do you think that is? Because uh, for the last generation, or maybe even longer than that, uh, universities and colleges have really immersed themselves in this sort of nihilistic, um, hard-left progressive um, ideology to the point where there, there really isn't an education going on. What they're, what they're doing is they're indoctrinating people into these uh, nihilistic uh, uh, ideologues. And... This is the decolonization thing. This is, I mean, actually, I've heard about this, I think, when I was first going to college, and that was, you know, a couple of years ago, Jack. And, mm. uh, and uh, the, um, or, you know, decolonization and, uh, and the, the solution to decolon the solution to uh, colonial woes was, de- was a process of decolonization. And nobody ever really explained what decolonization was. And it was just some sort of fringy talk, and it was one of those types of things that people just threw some you know, lingo around and nobody really knew what was being said until this week. And now everybody knows what decolonization actually means. It means basically um, uh, massacres. It means murdering people who are seen as colonizers. And that's exactly what this is. I like nihilistic ideology. I do. Um, I might also suggest that they're dummies. Because, yeah. I mean, it, it's just... I would, I would, I would agree. <laughs> yes, I would there's agree. No, um, y- there's, when, you, when, you, when you get into an argument with a young lefty, there's no knowledge of history, and they're proud of it. They, they don't think it's a bug. They think it's a feature. Uh, they're not interested in, you know, getting that background or that information they already know everything they need to know um i feel like in many cases higher education is a training ground rather than education so you are fed the talking points you are given the positions you get good at parroting them and pleasing your professors uh young people by nature are often pleasers and they're very good at being trained to you know repeat or echo what they're told and I just think that um, I, I saw a story that college admission test scores are at their lowest level in 30 years. We know why that is. It's because colleges are putting together classes based on equity and appearance rather than merit. So when you combine that with what we're seeing on these campuses now, I, I just don't think these are critical thinkers or, or very bright people. I don't think they have a. I don't think they have some sort of ideological kinship with Hamas. Uh, and I, I, I just think they're kind of ignorant. No, I, I completely agree with you, and it's because when you turn away from actual education and focus on indoctrination, uh, especially political indoctrination, you get stupidity. I mean, that's just what it is. It becomes rigid stupidity. And we used to do much, much better. And it's not just universities and colleges either. I mean, you're talking about test scores. 
that starts in elementary school. That starts right. in high school. Um, so a lot of this is that the entire American education system has been given over to political indoctrination rather than the type of classical education which taught people how to think, right, how to work through all these things. They didn't teach an ideology. They taught you how to think. They taught you what the basis of Western civilization was. They taught you what the basis of arithmetic was. They taught you phonics to teach you how to read and the basis of language. And you were able to then develop your mind so that you could put all those skills to use in thinking for yourself. And that produced a, a, an educated, um, well-rounded, well-adjusted uh, American citizenry. And we have gotten away from that over the last uh, – really mm. two generations. We have gotten away from that, and this is what you end up with. You end up with uh, morons who are marching to support people who just murdered – Women and children. Well, and about that, and and, and about that, I I don't think we should be surprised when you see the behavior on these campuses toward a guest speaker with whom they disagree, and they will not just stay home. They will flip over tables, tear down banners, physically attack speakers, uh, shout down an event so that it can't proceed even for the people that do want to attend it. And, I mean... I won't. I won't go as far as saying that that's the same thing, but it's a kind of terrorism, right? It's a kind of we're going to scare people away from saying stuff we disagree with. So if you if you've sort of romanticized that kind of behavior, and you're telling yourself you're freedom fighters and you're standing up for democracy, which is what they're told and they tell themselves, then yeah, it's a short walk over to. Well, those Hamas guys are like David against Goliath. You know, they're they're just like me. They're taking down the man. Yes, exactly. And this is—I mean, it also gets back to the uh, part about rigidity that I'm talking about, ideological rigidity. We didn't used to have those issues on college campuses because, again, college campuses were attended by people who had come through an actual educational process that was based on actual education. Right, And so their minds were open. They were interested. They would listen to people. And if they didn't think that they wanted to listen to somebody, they just wouldn't listen to them. But now they can't have anybody challenging their worldview because they have become so ideologically rigid. They have been indoctrinated into this ideological rigidness, this intellectual rigidness, that they can't even abide having somebody with a, uh, a different opinion anywhere yeah. in their vicinity, and they lash out. Uh, this, is, this is an absolute crime. Which is that has taken place in the American educational system, and it's it's a crime that's based on academia. It's a crime that's based on teachers' unions that control uh, the content and delivery of education. And I'm not sure that you can fix this public uh, education process anymore. I think it, homeschooling might just be the answer that we. Well, have but also we don't really know where this is going because the, the, they're sleeping in bunk beds today. But you know, in ten, twenty, thirty years. Uh, the people you see at the pro-Hamas uh, demonstration are going to be running the institutions of our society, and uh, that that is that is frightening. Uh, we're talking with Ed Morrissey from HotAir.com. You wrote about this today. Uh, what is going on? Can you can you help me understand what is going on with the six billion? Is it frozen? Is it thawing? Is it partly frozen? Uh, what's <laughs> is it in the microwave? I mean, what 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 the hell is going on here? way back in the fridge where it starts to crust over a little bit, but you can still kind of get it out and do no. something with it. Um, no, I mean, it's uh, right now it's frozen. From what I understand right now, it's um, frozen. Um, the the um, Qatari people 
who actually are handling the account have agreed not to allow Iran to access it. I don't know how long that's going to last. Um, it sounds almost like, if, if I can jump in, it almost sounds like did the Biden administration change its mind but not want to say it's changing its mind? Yes, that's exactly what happened. And, and I saw signs of this uh, late on Tuesday, right? I wrote about it yesterday, uh, which is that they were going to open, they, they announced that they were opening an investigation into whether or not Iran was uh, giving support to Hamas for this terror attack. And the answer is, of course, yeah, Hamas yeah. is an Iranian I'll be on policy. the edge of my seat for those results. Right, right. And I, I wrote at the time, they're looking for a pretext, a legal pretext to explain why they're going to reverse on the $6 billion. And I mean, the interesting part of this, of course, is that they have been saying all along that the $6 billion is not even relevant to this uh, because that money is being spent on food and medicine. But what they don't want to admit and what they kind of tacitly admitted today by freezing it up again is that the Iranians are spending that money on food and medicine. So the money that they had been spending you know, from their other revenue streams on food and medicine, they can now spend on terrorism. And that was the reason why you don't release $6 yeah. billion dollars in assets to a terror state like Iran. And, and so basically this is a tacit admission that they screwed up and they don't want mm. to talk too much about it. Yeah, probably some vicious uh, polling numbers on this, too. Uh, who's going to be the next Speaker of the House, or will there ever be one again? I'll be the next Speaker of the House. I'm throwing Could my be. hat in the ring, Jack. I'm this, good with that. This is an exclusive to the Jack Riccardi Show. I'm yeah, no, I'm good with that. Because, and, and I'm going to I'm going to reach out to both House Democrats and House Republicans, because at the moment I kind of detest them all equally. Mm. And so... <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna. I don't know if anybody's gonna get it. Well, I, they, I did see where Fetterman said we don't send our best and brightest to uh, Washington, and I bit right through my tongue when I read that. But irony is dead. Yeah, <laughs> irony is dead, Jack. That's all I can say about that. I mean, I'm looking at but Kevin fine. McCarthy on Fox right now. They're they're interviewing Kevin McCarthy. I mean, who? When have you ever seen the media interview the the, the a former a deposed uh, speaker? Is he coming back? Is that how, is that how this is going to end? Well, we've never seen it before because there hasn't been one before. Nope, we've yeah, never had true. a post speaker. And um, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know why they get rid of him in the first place. I mean, the whole thing is nonsense. There, there's this is about personal grievances and process complaints in a in a uh, nine seat majority house. It's the only it's the only part of government that Republicans actually control, and they decapitated yeah. themselves. So I don't understand the thought process behind that. Um, but at any rate, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that they can get to anybody. They may end up having to make uh, Patrick McHenry sort of the de facto speaker and just invest the pro, temp, uh, pro tempore position with speaker authority so they don't mm. ever have to hold another election. I, I assume that that's what's going to be happening. I, do, do, I, do I care? I mean, should I care? Well, I, I'll tell you why I care is that Republicans had an opportunity here to demonstrate that they can be a governing party, and they were actually kind of doing an okay job with that. I mean, uh, uh, McCarthy had gotten regular order back on appropriations. The bills were delayed because Republicans reopened the fight over the um, spending agreement that they had reached a a couple of months ago. Um, But he wasn't proposing an omnibus bill. He was saying, no, we're going to stick with the 12, appro- you know, 12 appropriations bills separately as, you know, and, and as part of regular order. We just need a continuing resolution so we can keep the government open while we're finishing these things up. And they threw it all away. 
and now I don't know what we're going to wind up with. Yeah. I, I don't I think mean, anybody I was going to make up their mind between Biden and Trump based on Kevin McCarthy's no, no, no. rules. You know, I, I, I don't think that's going to matter. No, but I think the, it the, might matter when it comes to when it comes to Senate races, and it might come, matter when it comes to House races. Yeah, yeah, and, maybe. And as and as dysfunctional as Congress is. With this particular set of Republican leaders, I really don't want Congress being completely controlled by Democrats again. Yeah. Well, um, I guess if it is, um, the Republicans will have helped with that in a big and unexpected uh, way. Read them at hotair.com about all these things and many more. Ed Morrissey. Ed, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. Since we were talking about what's going on on college campuses and Ed Morrissey was making the point that the purpose of really of higher education is to be a higher level thinker. It, it's it's more important that you you know you don't you don't have to memorize historical facts. You you need to be able to think about, receive information, hear hear and, and consume what's going on around you, and then think about it critically, sift through it, sort it. That's valuable. However you get to that point, however you become that kind of a person, it's very important. When I was in college, I, I took classes, and I had a major, and I had a minor, and um, like you do. But probably the most memorable experience I had, well, I'll say this. Generally, for me, going to college was about meeting all kinds of different people from different parts of the world and different parts of the country. I had never had those experiences before. I had never traveled in my life outside of New England and really not even very much in New England. So now all of a sudden I'm at this major university that is attended by people from all the states and from over 100 countries, and you're sitting right there with people from the Middle East and from Asia and from South America. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in a situation like that and I'm 17, 18, 19 years old, I'm like a sponge. And I'm also eager to, like, engage with people and, like, ask them questions and, and, and answer their questions. And everybody's like that at that age, so they're doing the same thing. Okay, so I met a, I met a kid through the college radio station named Kobe, and he was from Israel. And Kobe was one of those guys that everybody loved. He just had a great personality. He was an average-looking guy, but but everybody dug Kobe. Women loved him. Everybody wanted to be his friend. He had that kind of hum- humility and, and personality. And, um, of course, I'd never met anybody from Israel. We are talking about it. That was, He was the one that told me about the compulsory... Uh, military service, and um, the whole experience of living in a kibbutz, which he had, and um, things like that. And we talked about Jerusalem, and and I remember he went. He would go. Obviously, he'd go back to Israel every summer. And I think it was the summer between our sophomore and junior years, or it might have been between our junior and senior years. Um. Kobe did not come back because he was dead. Because he'd been killed in an attack. And um, you can read about that stuff in the newspapers and hear about it on the news and think it's real. It's, it's real when 
there's an empty chair. It's real when you're missing somebody you had been hanging out with. It was shocking. It was almost as if in that moment I realized that everything he told me was true because he had described Israel. And not that I thought he was lying, but I mean, it didn't, it didn't seem real. And one of the things I remember we talked about was the military service, and I, I, I wasn't in the military. I didn't join the military because I went to college. And he uh, and I said something about, I made you know, joking reference to I, I, I'm kind of a uh, a failure or I'm, uh, you know, it's a letdown or whatever, uh, compared to you. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, no, 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 no. He said one of the, one of the great things about your country is that if you don't want to serve, if you don't feel called to serve, you don't have to, because your country has a volunteer military and there's. You have the most powerful military in the world just by, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, this isn't exactly what he said, but you have the most powerful military in the world voluntarily. And he said, but in Israel, we ha- it's, it's a fortress. It's, a, it's under siege. Everybody's got to be part of it. So don't feel bad. One of the great things about America. He loved being here, by the way. He loved this country, loved going to Boston University. I think that is what is supposed to happen in college. I mean, I know you register for classes and you declare a major and all that other stuff. I'm not saying that's not important, but I think these kinds of moments, this is what real learning is. And you don't, you know, you pay for the classes and you pay for the credits and that's what you get the paperwork on and all that stuff. There's no... But this is the real deal. This is where I learned. And I met many others from many other places and bits and pieces of awareness and our place in the world and how, how others perceived America. It was very instructive to, to, to understand from just regular people, not politicians, what they think of us, how they feel about us. This was the 1980s. And maybe it would be different now, but but there was an amazing reservoir of goodwill and admiration for Americans and America and its role in the world. These were not people that thought we were some sort of um, patriarchal uh, colonizers or whatever. They knew we weren't perfect and they had beefs, but they admired the United States and its history and its ideals. By the way, it was very interesting, almost without exception, the foreign students had very deep, detailed knowledge of American history, and in many cases, nearly perfect English diction. Like, it was clearly not their first language or their first history, but they knew it. It was important to know. Again, that was eye-opening to a teenager, you know? So I thought about Kobe almost immediately uh, when I heard this news from this weekend. And um, I, I, I hope that there is the possibility for that kind of learning on college campuses. I don't know. I'm not on one. But it doesn't look like it, does it? doesn't look like that's what's happening anymore. Maybe it is. Maybe that's the stuff that doesn't make the headlines. I hope so. I, I would like to think so. Oh,
We're just getting word this afternoon that uh, one of the founding uh, members of the Isley Brothers has died. Rudolph Isley was 84. In a statement from the family, uh, his brother Ronald says, There are no words to express my feelings and the love I have for my brother. Our family will miss him, but I know he's in a better place. These uh, boys, there were originally, I think, four of them, started singing together when they were very young. Little boys. And one of them died very young, I think. And then the three went on. And uh, that would have been uh, Rudolph, Ronald, and O'Kelly. And, um, I mean, you're talking about from the 50s to almost present day. And, uh, Don, I don't know if you remember that song you just played, which is one of their biggest hits, This Old Heart of Mine, uh, came out, what, in the 60s? Yes, it did. That had a renaissance. It was very cool. It, it was It was an oldie. And that song was featured in an episode of Moonlighting. Really? I did not. Yeah, really? there was an episode. You remember Moonlighting with Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd, and they were private detectives, and they were supposed to be grudgingly partners, but really there was great sexual tension and stuff. And there was a an episode. I don't know if he, she left him or she started going with somebody else and it was a like a heartbreak moment for bruce willis and he's standing out in the night next to his car and that song is playing on the radio it's just a great and and it was it was everybody i remember everybody was like what a great song where has that been Mm -hmm. it had just disappeared off the radio it had just vanished and i now i never hear that song without thinking of that episode of uh, moonlighting from like 19 mid 1980s yeah Interesting connection. Yeah, I think it was around 60, what, 65, 66 when that came Probably out. And that, I yeah. think, um, reading a little bit about that song at, at some point in time, I think uh, people thought it was The Temptations when it first came mm. out. In fact, mm. there was a little similarities between the the two. But what uh, what's some great songs? What were some of the songs? It, it's Your Thing was another one that they recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twist mm-hmm. and Shout. Twist and the Shout. Original, yeah. Tw- yeah. yeah. Uh, and, so uh, many... So many great uh, songs, and we'll talk more about the uh, Isley Brothers as we go along here. And, of course, they come from that era of music where there's no auto-tune, there's no, there are no computers. Um, so whatever you hear uh, pressed onto that vinyl is exactly what was you know happening, coming out of them in the studio, and, yeah, just great stuff. So rest in peace, uh, Rudolph Isley. Uh, there is tonight a movement of people, uh, these are CEOs, who are um, signing up and joining the call to commit to not hire college students who are blaming Israel and endorsing the Hamas terror attacks. There's a hedge fund guy named Bill Ackman, I think is his name. Very controversial guy. Um, And I think he's leading this, but he's got a number of CEOs, and of course he knows a lot of people. And he has said, um, let's not hire them. Uh, Let's name names. And let it be known that um, 
you've you've made an appalling choice and you are in the wrong and already there are anecdotal stories of people who say I signed the letter, or I, I did the protest, or I st- said stuff on my ex-feed, and I had my job offer from this law firm withdrawn. There's, I, we told you a couple of days ago about a, uh, a young woman who claims that she was ready to get hired, and the company told her, or the law firm rather, told her, never mind. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Now, in response to that, the undergraduates are um, outraged. They're saying that this is very dangerous for them. Uh, Their safety is being, you know, compromised. And uh, because they're being named, they're being outed for their positions. And they also say that blacklisting and canceling is wrong. Some of you are probably already ahead of me with where I'm going with this. But that's that's their response. How can you do this to us? You're risking our safety and you're blackening our names. Whatever you think of what Ackman is doing, before we get to that, let's talk about these students. Because I, I'm sorry, but if you've ever shouted down a guest speaker... You need to shut up. If you've ever demanded that a conservative or a Christian or a pro-lifer be barred from your campus, you need to shut up. If you've ever attacked your fellow students or anyone in a public space because you didn't like their literature or their signage or their viewpoint, if you've ever said that you were triggered just by the sight of people supporting the other political party or candidate, shut up. Because you are getting a dose of your own medicine, good and hard. Now that may not make it right, but that's what's happening. These CEOs are vowing never to hire people from student groups and protests that have sympathized with Hamas. So what do you think about that? I think we can agree that the students are being hypocritical. They are lacking self-awareness. They don't realize that what's being done to them is what many of them have done to others and has been done by their peers. So I, I, I really don't have any sympathy for them. I will say, I want to know what you think about the, the CEOs. Because really my first thought was, and, and there's a lot of companies here I don't, I don't recognize the name of, so I don't know who these companies are. Easy Health, FabFitFun, Dove Hill, I don't know what any of those are. Uh, here's one I know, Sweet Green, it's a chain of salad restaurants. There's one in the quarry. Uh, they're saying they want to know names so they will never hire these people. Um, here's a healthcare executive uh, saying the same thing. Uh, Ali Resnick, CEO of the rental housing company Belong, says, please share the list. We'll stay away from these people. 
This is a must, says CEO Stephen Reddy of FabFitFun. We're in. I don't know if they'll follow through. I don't know if they'll stay committed. I don't know if they'll forget. I don't know if they're virtue signaling right now. Like maybe in the moment, this looks like a good pose for them. But once the attention dies down, they'll throw their little list away and they'll hire these people anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But what are your thoughts on that? 210-599-5555. If you um, think that this is cancel culture, I guess I would just say, well, have you always been against cancel culture? Or are you only against it now? And maybe you think that um, this is the wrong approach. Because maybe you think, well, you know, when you're young, you're stupid and you make mistakes. And then you learn and you, you need to have time and space to get smarter and grow out of whatever you thought. And uh, none of us would want to be, I, I think, I shouldn't say none of us. I think most of us would not want to be quoted or held to however we thought or acted when we were, you know, 21 years old. Not that you were making excuses for genocide, but what do you think about it? 210-599-5555. Anything that... um I've always thought anything that sort of reintroduces uh, reality to these campuses of today is a good thing. Because I find that, and we talked about this with Ed Morrissey last hour, a lot of what is said and a lot of what is taught is the world as somebody wishes it was. It's all um, idealizing But in the real world, there are consequences for taking a position, any position. In the real world, most of us at some point deal with the fallout from or the price for standing up for something, declaring something, wearing our faith or our political beliefs. So... Welcome to the real world. Tony is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Tony, good evening. Hi, Jack. Uh, On that, you know, I I understand the First Amendment issue that they're talking about and that they're going to act like their hair's on fire, but I don't believe any of these people that are at those protests intend to go to work for firms. I think that they've they've been tended to go into work for government since they were Mm. 11. And and, uh, I don't... Until you get the government to sign up for not hiring them, which is the whole point of them being the way they are, uh, mm. then it doesn't matter. That's an interesting take. I had not thought of that, but you you are right. A lot of lefties they either want to work for government or nonprofits or uh, NGOs and, and all that. And, and you know, uh, part of the whole problem with the with the left is they all think they're going to have a seat at the table when everything washes out. And and those that don't wind up in these uh, uh, cubicle class in government for, you know, and and we've got a a crisis there, too. I just saw some congressional hearing where uh, these representatives are are begging for the State Department to work on things like visas that that haven't been touched in in two years. 
and there's no way to force them to do it. And these kids think they're going to be in some uh, with some bureaucratic power, and then they wind up in a cubicle, and you know they're they're resentful, and nothing gets done. Uh, you know, Lord help you if you need something from anybody. Great take, Tony. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. We're going to check the Jack Chat line. That is a uh, number you can call anytime during the show, after the show, nights, weekends. If you're listening to the podcast and you want to get in on the conversations, uh, 210-599-5550. And you leave your thoughts, and we play them back. And let's check it out right now, the Jack Chat line. Jack, this is a stub on and phone nine. I find it ironic you were talking about decolonization. Rosie Castro and the Castro brothers are big advocates of decolonization, but they have colonized San Antonio. There's lots of Tejanos with roots that go back, that have Coelticic in blood, and from the Spanish colonization of the city, who quite frankly like things the way they are. And the leftists, Rosie got her vision, and we have Anglos running, invading downtown. And they're the ones that are talking about decolonization when they're the ones who have colonized downtown the last 30 years. It's a dark irony, and as far as genocide goes, you need to kill a lot of people. If the populations are roughly equal and have been growing at the same rate, that's not genocide. No. You know, the left truth is not a left-wing value, and unfortunately it's showing in this. Thanks, Esteban. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I mean, colonization obviously is um, apparently in the eye of the beholder, right? I I, I find it uh, fascinating how in this in these last five days, even though again, what has happened is clearly, starkly inhumane, wrong. Period. Not wrong, but just wrong. I, I find it fascinating how fast people have come running up to this with their little pet causes and preconceived grievances, and we're, we're just we're, we're we're sticking on like post-it notes onto this terrible terrorist attack. All these other things. Well, it's really about racism. Well, it's really about colonization. Well, it's really about. I guess that's what we do, right? But. Uh, we're going to talk more about that coming up here. Um, let me get another one on the Jack Chat line. Listen in. Hey, Jack. This is Alan from Spring Branch. I was wondering uh, on this attack on Israel and uh, the failure on the intelligence community, I'm also wondering if, why is there not more backlash against our intelligence community? I'm not knowing this because they were showing videos of uh, the Hamas people training, and they're flying around these little sand powered gliders and it seems like our intelligence uh our satellites our planes have picked up those kind of training exercises but it possibly could be because when you speak to our intelligence officials they again they seem to think that the most lethal concern in the u.s is white supremacy and of course they're spending lots of time going after parents of at school board meetings and that kind of stuff. So it, it might just uh, seem to mean that maybe they're just not they have their eyes on the wrong ball. Yeah, maybe, anyway. maybe. I mean, I, I've said that before, too. Uh, but I guess the other way to look at it, I don't know. I mean, let me throw this out. It's also possible that while the bosses 
sound clueless. The people that actually work in our intel agencies are not. So if Christopher Ray comes out or the director of national intelligence comes out and makes an a-hole comment about parents going to school board meetings or domestic terrorists, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't mean that the Jack Ryans that actually work in the agencies are that that dumb or that blinded. Like, they know who the real threats are, what the real threats are. Hopefully, we have we have the capabilities, we have the, the assets, resources. We know we have the, the technology, certainly. Hopefully, it's just a question of the, the, the people that are the mouthpieces and the bosses. It's still a problem. But I would hate to think that that kind of, what Alan is talking about, that kind of willful blindness, uh, where you substitute people you disagree with for actual threats to the country, I would hope that's not actually the the work these agencies are doing. Like, that's really what they've come up with. All right, let's check another one on the Jack Chat line. Uh, hello, my name's Elijah, and I currently reside in Hunt, Texas, and I just wanted to comment on the Palestinian uh, occupation or situation in Israel. I think it's time that the Palestinians uh, do leave. Uh, Israel's given them decades to be peaceful, and uh, my understanding is that they've voted in Hezbollah to actually run Gaza, mm. and I think that it's time that they seek uh, citizenship elsewhere, uh, preferably anywhere but Israel, and uh, that's my two cents on it. I don't know what to believe about the, the Palestinians. I mean, I've seen polls that say a majority of them supported this or, or support this, a uh, majority of them support attacks uh, on Israel, a majority of them support the eradication of the Jewish people. But who knows? I mean, these are—they are, after all, uh, people living under, you know, a, a totalitarian regime. I, I don't even know if it's accurate to say they chose it, because I don't know how legit that choosing was. What, what I do think is very telling, though, we talked about this at the very beginning of the show. The people that would know best. Who's in Gaza? Are the people of the other neighboring countries that already have Palestinian populations, et cetera, et cetera? And they are being extremely careful to not let any Gazans in. That tells you something, right? I mean, they're not. They're, they're not. Oh, this is a humanitarian crisis, and Israel's about to roll in there. And please, we, we, you know, let's fly some people out and let's bring them to our country and we'll we'll put up tents and we'll, they're not doing that they're not doing any of that what I was talking about before w- with the grievance thing um this popped up in my news feed this is Patrice Cullors who was one of the top people at BLM and now she's a real estate mogul she took all your white liberal guilt money and bought real estate and mansions with it this is her in 2015. 2015. She's just come back from Palest- the, the Palestinian territories. Listen to this. Cut number five. The other thing I'll say is Palestine is our generation South Africa. And if... Oh. Big applause. If, if we don't step up uh, boldly and courageously to end the, the imperialist project that's called Israel... Um, were doomed. And I think that uh, I had learned about Palestine for a long time. 
I had known about it, been wanting to travel, and I was really, really grateful when the Dream Defenders um, asked me to come on the delegation. Uh, but nothing would have prepared me for the level of mili militarization and the, mi uh, and the level of violence that we would witness those 10 days inside of Palestine. Um, nothing would have prepared me for uh, the ways in which um, we witness people's terror. Uh, people live in terror on a daily basis. And um, nothing would have prepared me for how much clarity I would have on on why we have to be a part of um, uh, Palestinian solidarity. I um, that that was from eight years ago. Okay. I love the way we people in the race business always try to figure out who the black people are in every story. So they've they've decided the Palestinians are the black people in this in this story. And is that is that right? I mean the Jews are the minority in the world. And everywhere they are. And in you know within that region they are a speck on the map. Look at a map sometime. They're a speck. Beyond that, if you really want to go a little deeper, I would take a look, if I was Patrice Cullors, not, not that I think she probably cares, but you, if, you, if you wanted to you know, take a look at the way, um, for example, the um, Arabs treated the sub-Saharan Africans at the time of the slave trade, it's gruesome. It's gruesome. So I'm not sure they know who the quote-unquote the blacks are in this scenario. I don't think she has it right. But we do this. We assign our grievances to the players in other conflicts, in other wars, and in other situations. And there's no intellectual validity to it or consistency to it. We just do it. And that, that, I think, also explains a lot of the weird um, choosing up of sides that's going on right now. Like I said earlier, um, someday we're going to look back and we're going to say that this was a re, I guess you could say, a redo or a reprise of the Holocaust. Someday we're going to realize that this was um, unforgivable, unacceptable, unjustifiable, wholesale murder. It didn't have a, a military strategy behind it. It didn't have a geopolitical angle behind it. It was the maximizing of death and blood and violence and suffering and fear. And you're going to want to be standing in the right place. You're going to want to be on the right page of that history book. You're going to be want to be on the right side of the lines. You're, you're, you're going to have children. You're going to have grandchildren. You're going to be asked, what was it like? Where, where, what did you think? What did you do? And what you said and what you did will live on more than ever because of this social media era that we live in. I, I just think there's a lot of people that are going to have a lot of explaining to do or maybe 
Nothing to explain. I'm in a quicksand and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to turn. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my mind. I'll into the night. Uh, tomorrow we get an early start. We're going to start at 1 because we'll be doing uh, the Jimenez Thanksgiving Dinner Radiothon all day on the radio and online. And so a little bit different. We will, obviously, we will not be taking these calls and doing some of the things we normally do. There won't be a poll question, but uh, we're going to have some very cool people. We're going to have a good time, and we're going to make sure everybody knows about this incredible, long-standing San Antonio tradition that um, makes Thanksgiving and togetherness possible for people that wouldn't have either one otherwise. So it's it's a great thing to be a part of. If you've heard about it before, you already know where we're going with this, but if you're new to our town or new to our radio station, I hope you'll check it out tomorrow, and you can actually find out more right now. You can go to com, click on the Jimenez Radiothon button, and you can actually give right now. The, the giving has already started. I don't... Um, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I was reading somewhere that MSNBC lost something like a third of its primetime audience over these last several days, and that Fox and CNN saw their audiences go up. Which doesn't really make sense if they're all covering the conflict. You would think that people interested in it are watching and people that are not are not, but what's different about MSNBC? Is it that they seem more muddled or sympathetic toward Hamas? Is it this insistence on publishing the death toll jointly? I said the other day, it would be like if you kept adding dead Afghans to the number of people killed in the Twin Towers and said, well, this is the total number of victims of September 11th. Because that's basically what they're doing. Is there, and I'm, I'm asking not only rhetorically, but literally because I, I don't watch them a lot, is their coverage really very different from CNN's or Fox's? Seems to be, if, they've, if these audience numbers are, uh, are correct, are true. You know what else I was thinking about? And again, I, if, if you're over a certain age, you'll remember this. But there was a time, and I don't know when, I can't put like a year on it, but There was a time when um, the American left was unyielding when it came to anti-Semitism and, uh, like, commemorating the Holocaust and respecting and defending uh, Jews not only in America but around the world. And the slogan, the, the, the mantra you would hear all the time was, never again, never again. And they would preach about how important it was to teach the Holocaust. We must, we must 
keep the memories alive. We must talk to the survivors while we still have them. And, you know, 40 years ago, you had a lot of them. Today, you have very few. And I can remember interviewing Corey Tenboom many, many, many years ago. And her incredible witness. And, again, just as years ago the left took a backseat to no one in defending free speech, in fact, they didn't trust anybody with the First Amendment. They, they were its guardians. They, they and they alone knew how important it was that everybody can speak. And it doesn't matter if you hate what the other person's saying, or they're wrong, or they're evil, or they're, um, they, they have bad intent. You, they have a right. It's sacred. This was how they felt about the Holocaust. Now we know where they are today. That's over. And the reason I bring this up is because I sometimes wonder if the, the, the groups that the left pander to today, do they realize how fast they're going to get thrown away? Do they realize how the, today's panderese, today's, today's base or, you know, favorite people or whatever, of the American left. And again, they weren't always like this, but now that we see how disposable and changeable their loyalties are, do the people that that they are championing today know how quickly they will be discarded? How fast it, it will make your head spin. All of a sudden, you won't be on their lapel you won't be on their Facebook profile picture. You won't be on their signs and slogans. I don't know when, I don't know why, but they will move on from you and it will be fast. Women are experiencing that right now. Women's rights, oh, it's absolutely a, the holiest of holies. Now, well, we don't really know what a woman is. It's, they vary between everyone's a woman and no one is. So I'm just pointing that out, just public service from your old friend Jack. On the JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, do you think the terror risk in the United States just went up? 85% say yes, 15% say no. Tomorrow we will not have a JR poll question because we'll be doing the Radiothon. It'll be back Monday. Uh, we'll be live at 4 Monday, and you can always find the JR poll at KTSA.com. I was reading tonight there was a set of never-before-seen photographs of the JFK assassination. They were sitting in a garage, and a guy was cleaning out the family garage and found this box, and uh, the photos belonged to his mother, who had been a Kennedy admirer, and they're not... They don't change the story or anything, but they're very crisp, pristine, professional photos uh, that depict various moments, including the moment of the president's shooting that have never been seen before. They're going to be auctioned off at Christie's Auction House. It's amazing that there could still be things, you know, we're talking over 60 years. They're still finding this stuff. It's amazing how much stuff is turning up in people's garages these days, too, if you know what I'm saying. Um, we learned today that Walt Garrison had died. The Dallas Cowboys legend was 79. Uh, 
fullback for the Cowboys and later on the rodeo circuit. I found a great quote about Walt Garrison from the late, great Don Meredith. You're going to like this, Don Cooper. Uh, Don Meredith said of Walt Garrison, if it was third down and five and you need, if it was third down and four and you needed four yards, Walt would get you five yards. If it was third down and 20, by God, Walt would get you five yards. <laughs> that's, that's Don Meredith. No. That's Don Meredith right there. Uh, so Walt Garrison, rest in peace. And we mentioned um, Rudolph Isley, uh, one of the original Isley brothers. The, the, the band orig- eventually included other relatives and even people that weren't uh, relatives, but uh, had a run that started in the 1950s and goes almost up to uh, the uh, present day. And um, Rudolph Isley was one of the backing vocals for the most part, but he's on all the big hits. He's on Shout and It's Your Thing and This Old Heart of Mine. Um, And this one right here, one of the greats from the Isley Brothers, we're going to leave you with tonight. One of their most memorable songs. A good thing to get stuck in your head, I think, as we remember Rudolph Isley. Here's That Lady. Have a good night. Who's that lady? Who's that lady? Beautiful lady. Who's that lady? Who's that lady? Who's that lady? That real, real, real fine lady. The beautiful lady. I wish somebody would introduce her to me. I didn't get a chance. I didn't get a chance. To ask her to dance. It was love at first sight. I just saw her tonight. And I wish somebody would introduce her to me. I like the way she danced in the dark and disappeared in the night. And oh, she stole my heart. It was love at first sight. Who's that lady? That beautiful lady, the beautiful lady, who's that lady? Who's that lady? I gotta meet that lady, who's that and I wish somebody would introduce her to me. Yeah!